Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. We're, we're going to continue our series. We took a little time out last week for throwback. We're going to continue our series today on encounters, looking at different moments that sometimes out of the blue, we discover a truth that make, takes us by surprise, or either a truth maybe we'd known and forgotten, or maybe a truth that we'd known and purposefully forgot. Or maybe it's a brand new truth, but it suddenly comes front and center and we're confronted with something that is absolutely true, and in that moment, we have a decision to make. You've had defining moments financially when suddenly things weren't as good as you thought they were and you realize, I've got to do something. You can't, you can't pretend that it's okay when it's not okay because it's, it's, you can't just go on your merry way and act like things are fine. Or you could face some pretty tough challenges if you do that. You've had defining moments with your children. You've had defining moments in your marriage. You've had defining moments at work. You've had them with with maybe you own a business. Maybe you're you're a student and you've had defining moments at school where you realize, look, if I don't change something here, it's it's not going to get better. We've been saying for the past several weeks that when God, because he loves us so much, he's going to bring certain truths front and center into our lives through people, through circumstances, um, maybe a message like you're going to hear this morning or a song or, or a friend or somebody that you talk to, suddenly there's a truth right in front of us about God. And in those moments, we have a choice to either embrace that truth or to continue on our own merry way down our little path and to continue to ignore the truth. And sometimes the truths about God are so convincing and they're so threatening that we pretend that we really didn't hear anything. We just want to, you know, kind of like the little kid that puts his fingers in his ears and says, I can't hear you. I think that's how we treat God sometimes. And, and, you know, we say things like, I don't have time to focus on that. In this life, one of the great things about it is we have choices. We get to make decisions. And when God brings a truth front and center into our life, we can either abandon what we have clung to for years and embrace what's true about God, or we can continue to ignore him and many times at our own peril. And what we've said at the beginning, from the beginning of this series, is that in no arena of your life does ignoring the truths of God help you. In no arena of life does it, does it, is it going to bring you closer to him or is it going to really make a, a, a good difference in your life. Ignoring the truth about what happened, hap, you know, is happening in your marriage doesn't help your marriage. It doesn't enhance it. Ignoring the truth about your finances doesn't enhance your finances. Ignoring the truth about um, something that's happening with your kids doesn't enhance any of that with your kids. You don't hear the story, well, I knew something was wrong, but I ignored it, and it it suddenly just got better. You, You don't hear that story. To continue to live our life and to ignore the truth about God never leads anywhere good. In fact, as we'll see today, ultimately it leads us to a place that's Um, just going to leave us thirsty. That's what we're going to talk about today. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And if you're new to us, we, uh, when I speak, I usually, we're almost always in a a passage of scripture. And um, today we're going to just take this one chapter and we're going to be in it and look at different passages and I'll talk in between. Um, But if you, if you're someone that doesn't have a Bible, you'd like to have a Bible, See me or Tracy or go to the Welcome Center and tell them we will hook you up with a Bible. It's that important to us. If you're new, don't worry about it. We're going to put everything on the wall so that you can see it. But um, I want you to have your Bible. John chapter 4. This is a very familiar story. Uh, In fact, this is one of those stories if you grew up in church and your Sunday school teacher used to use flannel graph, you know what flannel graph was? 
You probably saw this story on flannel graph. This is a classic. Uh, this story's made for flannel graph, okay? So um, we just know this story as the, the story of the woman at the well. And this is a story about a woman who encounters Jesus, and it takes her completely by surprise. And I, I find myself wishing today that, that if you did grow up in church, that you don't know this story. I, I, really, I really wish that you wouldn't know the story this morning, because if you know this story, the temptation is going to be to hurry to the end. The temptation is going to be to say, well, I know how this story ends. I know what's going on. I'm just going to uh, you know, get to the end of the story because I know how it all turns out. My hope is that we can pause and experience what she experienced because really her issue is our issue. And the truth that God wanted to shine on her life that afternoon in that hot, blazing Middle Eastern sun is the truth that God wants to share with so many of us today, and it is a threatening truth. It's a truth that will make you want to squint your eyes. We've talked about this idea that, you know, something's so bright that you have to squint your eyes. You know, when you walk into the sun, it takes a while for your eyes to adjust. That happens sometimes when we encounter God and he gives us this new truth. It's something we'd never really considered before, and it just takes us a while. And what we're tempted to do is to do what we do when we walk into the bright sunlight, is to shade our eyes, to, to go back into the dark where it's not as harsh and it's not as hard for us to see. Uh, but I'm just telling you, if you will stand there and take it today, if you will stand and let your eyes adjust to what you're going to hear today, um, it is a truth that could transform your life from this point forward because this is a woman who was thirsty. And because of her courage and because of her transparency, she acknowledged her thirst and her life was changed forever. We don't know this woman's name. Uh, we just call her the woman at the well. She lived in a town called Sychar. Sychar was in, in the region of Samaria. And I need to tell you a little bit about Samaria before we get going this morning because it's critical for the background of the story. Samaria, as you can see on this map, Samaria is between uh, Judea and Galilee. It's, it's right smack dab in the middle. Um, the Samaritans were a mixed breed of people. 700 years prior to this story that we're going to look at today, the Assyrians had conquered this region of the country. And when they did, they sent out thousands of Jews. They sent them away from there. They got them out. And they, there was an influx of foreigners into this particular region of the country. The net effect of that is that there was a lot of intermarrying going on. And so the, the people to the north and the south came to be very racist in their approach to the people who lived in Samaria. They, they were kind of a, a, a mixed breed of people because they weren't pure Jew. They weren't pure anything. And so on either side of them, these people looked at them um, not in a very good light. There was, there was definitely some racism uh, ideas going on there. And um, they didn't allow Samaritans to participate in temple worship. Samaritans were not uh, people who were considered holy or connected to God. They weren't allowed to come into Jerusalem. Uh, consequently, whenever a Jew went from Galilee to Judea or the other way around, going from Judea to Galilee, you can see on that map that it, you know, straight line would take you straight through Samaria. Well, that, that wasn't the case for these guys. They, they, instead of going through Samaria, they would go around it. They would take the long way home. It was, it was, to them, it was worth it. They didn't want to have to encounter those people. They, they just didn't like them, and, and it, was, it was kind of a problem. That, that's how badly the Jews hated the Samaritans. That's critical to the story for you to understand what we're going to look at today. Um, it's in this land of Samaria in a little town called Sychar that this conversation takes place, and it involves Jesus and this woman that we call the woman at the well. In fact, uh, the woman in this story has a past. She's been married five times. 
she's living with a guy now, and, and um, you know, she just finally has given up on the marriage thing and said, I'm just going to move in with this guy. And if you think that's extreme in our culture, it was incredibly extreme in the culture that, that uh, Jesus was in. Um, she lived in a small town, very we would consider it a small town, and um, it was one of those deals where everybody knew who she was, everybody knew her business. Now, we don't always get that in Terre Haute, a town our size, but I've got a good friend that lives about two hours away in a little small Indiana town. It's one of those towns where everything gets printed in the newspaper, right? Everybody knows what's going on in town. Whenever I talk to him, it's almost like getting a download of what's going on in Peyton Place because it's just everybody knows everything about everybody. And um, that's kind of the case with her. She's in this small town. Everybody knows about her, and she's got a past. And I don't know why she's been married five times, and, and you know, maybe her husband's passed away. Maybe they got sick. Maybe um, they decided that the grass was greener. We don't really know why she's not been able to stay married. We only know that she hasn't been able to. And this is a woman with a public past. This is a woman who has a thirst for dignity. She has a thirst for love. And, and this is a woman who was thirsty, and she just could not slake that thirst this is a woman who is thirsty for friendship. And you say, Brett, how do you know that? I, I know that because this, the Bible tells us that she comes to the well at noonday. And that was highly unusual. If you were a woman in that culture and the, the women were the ones who were responsible for getting the water back and forth to the, 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 the village, um, you would do that early in the morning or you would do that later in the afternoon when the sun is not quite as hot the noonday sun was very, very bright, very hot, made it very difficult to get water in the middle of the day. It was just, you just wouldn't do that in the, in the noonday. You would go in the morning or you would go late in the afternoon. She comes at noonday. And uh, it just kind of suggests to us that there's, you know, there's some reason why she would do that. She didn't want to be around the other women. The other women probably talked about her. She probably didn't feel like she was accepted. She probably felt like an outcast. Um, so, you know, before we rush to the end of the story, if we could just pause for a minute and put ourselves into the sandals of this, this Middle Eastern woman who has all this going on in her life, and she's not only a Samaritan, which made her an outcast in Israel, but she is a Samaritan woman, and not just a Samaritan woman, she's been married five times, and, and that's, none of that's good for her in terms of how she's viewed in her surrounding area. Um, she picks up her heavy water jug. She heads off to, to get some water from the well of Jacob. It's probably a fairly long walk for her. And on her way, she looks up and she sees 12 men making their way in her direction. And you just have to stop and, and ask yourself, what was going through her mind as she encounters these men? And as they got closer to her, she probably was able to see these are not Samaritan men. These are, these are men that are not from this area, which was probably very peculiar for her. Samaria probably didn't enjoy a lot of uh, walk-through traffic or any, you know, a lot of foreigners coming in. They probably, you know, people, if you were from the outside, you probably stood out as you, as you entered the, the region of Samaria. And uh, she sees them coming. There was probably no eye contact. She probably kept her head down and just kept walking. And you just wonder. You wonder what she heard. You wonder if these guys, who would have been the disciples that had, Jesus had sent them on ahead to get some food, you wonder if they're talking. You wonder what they're saying. You wonder if she's able to hear any of the conversation as she passes by to try and figure out who are these guys and what are they doing and what are they talking about. 
And, and it just reminds her once again how low her status is in her community. It probably reminded her how low her status was just in general in the world. Um, with no idea where she stood with God and every all, an all-too-clear idea of where she stood within her own community, she looks up and she sees the well, and sitting there by the well is a lone figure. It's just one guy. She's just encountered these 12, and now she's past them, and she sees this guy sitting at the well, noonday sun. Little does she know that she is moments away from becoming a star. She has no idea that she's moments away from becoming a part of the gospel that was written 2,000 years ago that we're going to talk about today. Little did she know that with no dignity and with no acceptance, no friends, no love, and nothing that she would ever consider of any worth, she is moments away because of an encounter with one person from changing all of that forever. But she doesn't know that at the time. All she knows is this. Life had left her thirsty, and in her quest to slake her thirst, no body, no thing, no relationship, nothing that she had tried was able to fill that thing that was inside of her. John chapter 4, verse 3. So, she, so he left Judea, talking about Jesus, and went back once more to Galilee. And, and then John, who gives us this story, gives us a clue as to what's going on in Jesus' mind. Verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria, to which we would look at the map and say, no, you didn't have to go through Samaria. You know, there's, there was land on either side. You could go around Samaria, which is what everybody else did in the region. No one wanted to go through Samaria. But John, looking back on this event, basically says, you know, it's almost as if Jesus had an appointment. It's almost as if uh, there was, you know, he, 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 you know, it's almost as if he, he said, hey, we're going to go through Samaria. The guys probably said, Samaria? Really? And he said, yeah, we're, we're going to go through Samaria. The implication is that there's about to be an appointment that Jesus did this on purpose. Uh, verse 5, <clears throat> so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. That's the, the hottest part of the day. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? This was not a request. This was a statement, really, more than a request, of just how much Jesus viewed and how much he valued this woman. This wasn't a request for water. In fact, the woman really doesn't answer Jesus' question. She doesn't say yes. She doesn't say no. She ignores his question. The fact that he would even talk to her or request anything from her blows her away. Um, And then, get this. The fact that Jesus is willing to drink after this woman, the fact that, this, that, that Jesus, this man, is willing to hold the same water vessel as this woman, the fact that he suggests that he's willing to put his lips where her lips have been, this was unthinkable in this culture. There's no way that a man would have ever addressed a woman like her in this way, certainly not two cultures like this. It's just the whole thing just is basically saying, you know, this is awkward and this is unusual, and it probably took her back a little bit as it was all unfolding. She never really answered the question. This was a statement of value and dignity. This was the Son of God having seen no repentance, having seen no suggestion of commitment on her part, um, having heard no confession of sin, simply looking at this woman who has been an outcast from society and in her mind an outcast from God. He looks at her and says, 
I value you. I'm not afraid. I'm not offended. I'm not put off by you, which that's probably the way she felt around anybody else that she was ever around. We, we can't completely understand at an emotional level what she felt in this moment. Look what she says to him in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew. She doesn't say yes. She doesn't say no. She doesn't even talk about water. You are a Jew. And then catch this. And I am a Samaritan woman. Underline, bold type, italicized. I'm not a Samaritan. I'm not just a Samaritan. I'm not just a Samaritan woman. I'm a Samaritan woman. And Jesus is thinking, yeah, you're not just a Samaritan. You're not just a Samaritan woman. You've been married five times. You're living with a guy now. You don't even know how much stuff I know about you. That's what Jesus could have said. We finish her thought. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then in parenthesis we get what we've already discussed is that Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her in verse 10. And this is unbelievable. I'm going to to want you to say a word with me in just a minute because I want you to get this picture. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift, gift, not reward, not trade, not barter, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, I don't think this woman has any idea what Jesus is talking about when he uses the phrase living water. We know from scripture that that uh, you know, when they looked at, when, when they heard the term "living water," what that meant for them was water that was moving, water, you know, like a stream or a creek or something like that. She probably hears "living water." She's standing next to a well. She's like, you know, what, what are you saying? What does it mean? But she knew that there's some kind of offer on the table. She knows that Jesus. She doesn't necessarily know what Jesus is offering, but she knows that that there's some kind of offer on the table. It's possible that this woman. Her whole life, every man she's ever known has only wanted to take from her. It's possible that, that in her life, all she's ever experienced is somebody just walking out the door on her, somebody that just taken, taken, taken more and more stuff from her. But she knew there's something different about this guy. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock. And she's, she's trying to sort this out in her mind. And she says, you know, Jacob gave us this well. Are you suggesting that you've got access to a well that is any more special than this well right here? I mean, basically she could have said, dude, this, it doesn't get any better than this well right here. And, and so she's confused by what Jesus is saying. Verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. And again, I think uh, she knew that Jesus wasn't talking about physical thirst. Verse 14, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, Jesus changes the subject. And she knows. She knows they're not talking about water anymore. You ever had one of those conversations where you think you know what you're talking about, and then all of a sudden it takes a turn, and you're like, wait a minute, weren't we just talking? What are we talking? Are we talking about? And you're just all confused, and you're afraid to say anything because you don't know really what you're talking about. That's kind of where she is. She's thinking to herself, you know, he's talking about something different now. Somehow I, there's a metaphor going on here, and I don't know that I follow the metaphor. 
I know what living water is, but life has left me thirsty, and nothing I've tried, no one I've tried, has been able to quench the thirst that I've felt. What Jesus offers her is what is described in the Bible as eternal life. And when you hear the term eternal life, I think what we think is, well, it's just you're going to live forever. Um, I want to share with you what Jesus said about eternal life in John 17. This is what Jesus said. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Having eternal life is about having an active, living relationship with God the Father through his son, Jesus. And what Jesus is basically saying to her is, I'm offering you the opportunity. I want to give you something. I know every man, every other man in your life has taken from you. I know every other man has traded and bartered with you. I want to give you something. I want to give you a brand new relationship with God. And if you will ask me, something is going to happen on the inside of you that is going to transform your life. It will be like a living water that springs up in you and results in a different kind of life. And eventually, your habits are going to change, your priorities are going to change, everything can be new. But I think Jesus would have said, but you need to ask me for it. I'm not going to force feed this to you. I'm not going to make you drink this water. You need to ask me for it. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then Jesus, in our eyes, you would say, Jesus really blows it, okay? Right here, if only we could have been here to help Jesus at this point. Right? If only we could have had a professional counselor who could have been there to help him with this. But there's nobody there to help Jesus, and he's just going to completely mess this thing up. He goes right for the most sensitive part of this woman's heart and her life, to the unhealed wound. And he just basically rips off the scab. Uh, he brings back to her mind the, the emotions of her past. And everything that she's worked so hard to ignore, every single decision that she's made or someone made about her that she has capped with some excuse, which is what we do. We make bad choices. We do you know, stuff we shouldn't. We, we go down a wrong path. Then we start to make excuses as to why that was uh, the case. Jesus goes right to the core issue and forces her to face the thing that she does not want to even think about. And you want to say to Jesus, Jesus, how could you be so insensitive? I mean, it just seems like you don't even care. It just seems like you go straight at her with this. You know, if I did to you what Jesus does to this woman, you would not come back. If I did this to you, like when you come and talk to me in my office or whatever, if I did to you what Jesus does to her, you would think me insensitive. You would think, you know, what what happened to love? What happened to, you know, don't you have any more sensitivity than that? Look at what he says, verse 16. He's going to put her in touch with the nature and the intensity of her thirst. He told her, go call your husband and come back. To which we want to say, Jesus, if you're wanting to show off for her, if you're wanting to show her how smart you are and how you know all things, tell her where she lives. Give her her address. Tell her what her mom's maiden name is. You know, um, if, if you're trying to prove something to her, She's open. She's asking things of you. She's talking to you. You know, it's not like you're having to pry stuff from her. She's talking to you. She's not being hateful. And you say, go call your husband and come back. Verse 17, she's going to respond. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, 
you're right when you say you have no husband. And it's as if Jesus said, let me stick the knife in and twist it real good right here. Listen to what he says next. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you live with now is not your husband. What you have just said is true, is quite true. And you want to just say, Jesus, why would you do that? Why would you say that? Now she's full of condemnation. Now you've just reminded her of everything that she doesn't want to think about. Here's why. He knows about her what he knows about you and what he knows about me. And that is that we are not really open to allowing the Savior to quench the thirst that is in us until we really know just how thirsty we are. It's kind of Jesus' way of saying, you know that thirst, five husbands? You know that thirst that just keeps recurring over and over? Let me remind you that you have been on a quest, that you've been trying to fill this empty spot in you, this thing that just doesn't feel full. You've been wondering, how in the world am I going to make it in the small town? How am I, where am I going to go get water that I can't, don't have to look at all these people? And There's just so many questions that she has. He's saying, this thirst that I've come to quench has nothing to do with this well. This thirst that I've come to quench in you has nothing to do with some physical thing that you feel. This thirst that I've come to quench in you, if you will just admit that life has left you thirsty, that's what Jesus is trying to get out of her. And yeah, you've got an excuse. And yeah, you've got every reason in the world and you can blame everybody else for your problems. But come on. Come on. Isn't it true? Hasn't life left you thirsty? And isn't it true that your attempt to quench your thirst, in your attempt, you've actually compounded the problem and you've made it worse? And at that point, I think that the light of truth is so bright on this woman's life. I think she feels the full weight of it. I think she stands under it. And and she's on the edge of a defining moment. But she retreats. She changes the subject. She says, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she starts to talk about prophecy for a minute. You know, let's talk about the Jews think this and the Samaritans think this. And she's trying to get Jesus into a debate. And he kind of goes with it for a while. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't resist it. They start talking about worship and is it right to worship here or there? And she's thinking, whew, I got him away from that other thing. That's, that was close. That was too personal. I don't, I don't want to go there. And some of you in the room this morning might know what that feels like. Um, one of the things that I know happens when, when certain people come to talk to me, you know, they're, they're okay to talk about God and they're okay to talk about religion. But something happens to people sometimes when you start to talk about Jesus and everything gets a little too close and everything gets a little too personal. And I don't know how many times I've gotten into a conversation with somebody and we're just cruising right along and then we come talking about Jesus and everything shuts down because it's intimidating and it's just, it's, it's hard us to to get past it sometimes. She got uncomfortable, and that's why she changed the subject. So Jesus is just kind of rolling with it, and here's what she's doing. It becomes evident as you keep reading the story. She finally gets her water out of the well, and she's all but finished up, and she's ready to get out of there because, whew, that that was close. I don't want to have that conversation, and she decides, hey, I've got a good ending zinger. I've got the, you know, the ending comment that I'm going to make that basically says, Uh, see you later, nice talking to you, or whatever. And verse 25, we read this. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. See ya. 
got to go. So it's kind of like, you know, I know that the guy's coming, and when he comes, he'll clear all this stuff up for us, you know, and so that's kind of her way to say, I, I got to get out of here. That was close. It was too personal. You made me feel something that I didn't want to feel. Um, in fact, she would say, I've worked really hard not to feel that. Um, you made me feel like a failure. You made me feel condemned, like a loser, like the people in my town make me feel. And, and I don't want to feel that way, so I, I got to go. Verse 26. Then Jesus declared, and I think, I think when he says this, I think he's looking right at her. I think at this point Jesus does what he probably was, was very, very good at, and that is to engage someone and to lock into what they're seeing and what they're thinking. And, and um, he, he just locks into her and he says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. You're talking about a Messiah. You're talking about the one that's going to come and clear all this up. I'm telling you, I am that person. The guy that's talking to you now, that's me. Um, I, I think Jesus would have said, I who the Jews have been prophesying about for thousands of years have made an appointment with you today. I whom your people think will one day come and deliver them made an appointment with you. I, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, went out of my way to be here today. And I sent my guys into town ahead of me so that you and I could have this conversation together. And not only did I know that you were a Samaritan, not only did I know that you were a Samaritan woman, but I know how many guys you've been married to. I know what's going on in your life now. And I came here because I want to give you, I want to give you eternal life. And I know I made you squirm, but I just want you to realize just how thirsty life has left you so that you would acknowledge your thirst and you would put your trust in me as the only one who could quench it. And they're locked in this gaze, and I think suddenly they look up and they realize that there are other people around them. Verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Verse 28, then, and, and this is a great detail that John gives us, then, leaving the water jar. See, this jar, she sets it down because it's heavy. And for her to carry it back into town, it's just going to weigh her down. It's going to take her way too long. She's in a hurry to get to town. This jar represents her thirst and all her attempts to quench it. This jar represents the futility of life because the thirst just keeps coming back over and over and over again. So she leaves the jar. The woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did, to which, to which they would all laugh. They would have all said, yeah, everybody knows what you've done. This is a small town. There are no secrets here. We know what's going on in your world. But there was something different in her now. There was a transparency. There were no excuses coming from her. There was an openness. And she said, could this be the Messiah? And then look at this. God uses her transparency and he uses her willingness to acknowledge what was really true about her. And in that moment, God uses her to pry all these people out of this village. And verse 30 tells us, they came out of town and made their way toward him. And they invited him back to their town. He came and he stayed and he taught. And, and many in that town put their faith in Jesus and believed that he was the Messiah. Then we, we look at verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What was that testimony? He told me everything I ever did. Somewhere for all of us, there's a point at which we realize we're thirsty. 
You know, at 15, you think that the next great thing in your life is getting your license, right? If I could just get my license, if I could just get my license, all my problems would go away. I will never forget, when I was 15 years old, I wanted to drive so bad. I got my license on a Friday, and that day we were leaving. My youth group was leaving to go to Knoxville, Tennessee, to Johnson Bible College, which is where I eventually went to school. And uh, it was a five-hour drive for us. The whole way down, I held my license in my hand and just stared at it. I thought that was the most beautiful thing in the world. I got my license. You know, when you're 15, you think, if I could just get my license, that'll solve all my problems. And then when you're sick, you turn 16, you get your license in, it's if I could just get a date. And then if I could just graduate, you know, if I could just graduate and get away from the house, that, all my problems would go away if I could just graduate and go off to school. And then you get to school and you realize, no, that didn't solve anything. If I could just, you know, if I could just get through graduation, or if I could maybe just have a, a relationship, a good solid relationship, and you get that relationship and you realize, no, that didn't do it, and you try another relationship and that doesn't do it, and then you go through three or four of those, that doesn't seem to fill you up. And then finally, if I could just get married, and then you get married only to find out that doesn't fill everything inside you. If we could just have kids, if I could just have that car, if I could get that job, if I could live in that subdivision, if I could take that vacation. And we go on and on and on trying to find the thing that we could put in that place that yearns to be filled up, that thirst that is in us to say, you know, fill this up. And we, we go through experiences. We think, ex- we think success will do it. We think stuff will do it. Many of you in your house, you probably have said in the last year, we need to take a bunch of stuff to Goodwill, right? Because you just keep putting stuff in your life because there's a hole that needs to be filled, and you think to yourself, that will fill it, that will fill it, I'll buy that, that'll fill it, I'll go there, that'll fill it, only to find that whatever you're putting into that hole doesn't work. We all feel that thirst. And we all believe at some point that if we dump enough sand into our life, maybe the sand will quench our thirst. Here's a question for you. How much sand does it take to quench your thirst? And the answer to that question is, no amount of sand will quench your thirst because sand was never intended to quench your thirst. See, what we've got to understand is that God sent Jesus Because God made in each one of us a hole. There is a place for each of us that until we put Jesus in it, we will not feel full. And I don't know how many people I've talked to, and even in my own life from time to time, when I realize I'm trying to fill that hole with all the wrong things, that Jesus is enough. And what Jesus is trying to say to this woman, and what Jesus would say to some of you, is you know what, you've labored, you've struggled, you've strived, You've tried, you've tried so many things to fill that hole. Would you just ask me for living water? Jesus said this, I came that you might have life and that you would have it abundantly. I would, ask you to, I would invite you to have two conversations over lunch. First conversation is this, what did Jesus mean when he used the expression abundant life? What is abundant life? What is abundant life? How would you describe, how would you define abundant life? I can tell you this. I can tell you that there are a bunch of people in the world who would define abundant life with things. The more things I have, the more abundant my life. And I could show you those people, and they're miserable. And I could show you other people who don't have anything, and they have joy, and they have peace. 
and, and they, they just they, they make it through because they don't need all the things. So ask yourself, what is abundant life? And ask yourself, would my life be more full if I invited Jesus into it to give me the water that he talked about with the woman at the well? Here's what I'll tell you. I'll tell you that if you ever come to Christ, if you ever allow him to give you the water that he's talking about, it's not going to make every problem go away. I would tell you that inviting Jesus into your life will not solve every problem that you have. In fact, I've known people who've come to Christ and their life just went crazy bad. But you know what? Even in the midst of it, they had peace. Even in the midst of it, they had a compass. Even in the midst of it, they had had their thirst filled. So just ask yourself the question this morning. Am I striving for, am I longing for, am I wanting things to put in that hole a hole that God created that only Christ can fill? And am I willing to put the right thing in? We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. If you've never given your heart to Christ, um, I would love to have a conversation with you about that. I'd love to talk with you about what it means, and it probably means something different than what you think it does. So we're going to stand and sing in just a moment. Let's pray before we do that. Father, there is a hole in each of us that only you can fill. You made us that way. It's not an accident. There's a reason why we keep trying to buy thing after thing after thing, and it doesn't work. It doesn't fill us up. It doesn't fulfill us. We buy one thing, we want another. We have one relationship, we want another. We have one car, we want another. Father, only you can fill that hole. I pray this morning for those of us in the room who are believers that we would stop trying to fill it up with a bunch of things other than you. And Father, for the one that may be in the room this morning who's never really given their life to Christ, I pray that you'd be working on their heart. I pray that you would be having them to ask some very serious questions about what is it in me that I'm thirsting for this thing and I don't know what it is. I pray that you would reveal to them that it's Jesus, that Jesus can fill that place and bring a peace and a hope joy that up until that time has never been known and can't really even be explained. Father, we love you. We thank you for Christ, for his forgiveness for our sins, for new life, and the opportunity to live it under the canopy of your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray.